Hi, welcome to the St Ninian Sermons Podcast. I'm Stuart Cutler and I'm the Minister of St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. St Ninian's is a local ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland. That means that we reflect the traditions of both denominations in our work and worship. This week we focused on Psalm 84 and John chapter 6. So let's hear this week's passages read by Margaret and then hear the sermon. Margaret's going to read for us this morning. She was going to be reading almost the whole of John chapter 6. You were almost getting 50 verses this morning, but Mother were playing at quarter past 12. <laughs> That's not why. She's going to read for us Psalm 84 and John 6. Psalm 84. How I love your temple, Lord Almighty. How I want to be there. I long to be in the Lord's temple. With my whole being, I sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows have built a nest and the swallows have their own home. They keep their young near your altars. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, how happy are those who live in your temple, always singing praise to you. How happy are those whose strength come from you, who are eager to make the pilgrimage to Mount Zion. As they pass through the dry valley of Baca, it becomes a place of springs. The autumn rain fills it with pools. They grow stronger as they go. They will see the God of gods in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen, O God of Jacob. Bless our King, O God, the King you have chosen. One day spent in our temple is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the gate of the house of my God than live in the homes of the wicked. The Lord is our protector and glorious King, blessing us with kindness and honour. He does not refuse any good thing to those who do what is right. Lord Almighty, how happy are those who trust in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me, and I live in them. The living Father sent me, and because of him, I live also. In the same way, whoever eats me will live because of me. This, then, is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the bread that your ancestors ate, but then later died. Those who eat this bread will live forever. Jesus said this, as he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his followers heard this and said, this teaching is too hard, who can listen to it? Without being told, Jesus knew that they were grumbling about this. So he said to them, does this make you want to give up? Suppose then that you should, have, you should see the Son of Man go up to the place where he was before. What gives life is God's spirit. Human power is of no use at all. The words I have spoken to you brings God's living gift, giving spirit. Yet some of you do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who were the ones that were, would not believe and which ones would betray him. And he added, this is the very reason I told you that no people can come to me unless the Father makes it possible for them to do so. Because of this, many of Jesus' followers turned back and would not go with him anymore. So he's asked the twelve disciples, And you, 
would you also like to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life, and now we believe and know that you are the Holy One who has come from God. Amen. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But whoever eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And yet that's exactly what we do each time we have communion. Perhaps we should have had communion this week. Or maybe these readings last week. But perhaps it's good to think about what we've done after the fact. We spent some time with John's Gospel at this time last year. And we discovered all kinds of things about how the Gospel is constructed to make a point. To make a point of who Jesus is. Not to tell us about Jesus' life in a timeline like the other Gospels. But to tell us about who Jesus is. So this passage takes place long before the Last Supper has happened. But it seems like the kind of teaching that could have happened at that point, doesn't it? After all, why is Jesus talking about his flesh being eaten and his blood being drunk? Well, because it goes back much, much further than this. And much, much further back than an upper room. It goes back to the wilderness where the Hebrew slaves had escaped from Egypt and they were wandering in the desert and there was no food. And manna came down from heaven every day, daily bread, to sustain the people as they wandered. And there's so much tied up in that image, isn't there? The idea that God provides for us. The idea that God looks after his people. The idea that God cares for us. One of the things that Jesus is doing in this teaching is correcting a whole load of things. We were supposed to read 50 verses from John today. Pretty much the whole of chapter 6. And that's because it takes us from something amazing to the feeding of the 5,000 happens at the beginning of chapter 6. All the way through to this part that we read. It begins with bread, actual bread, miraculous bread. Bread that came from nowhere. A wee boy weighs five loaves and a couple of fish that fed thousands of people with 12 baskets left over. And that's a sign. It's a sign about who Jesus is. It's the only story that's in all four Gospels. So it's important. It's important because God has done this bread from heaven thing before. But the people who were fed, just like the people who ate the manna in the wilderness, confused their full tummy with being satisfied. 
because they didn't ever see beyond the fact that they were physically fed to the bigger miracle. That they had feasted on God. And if they'd feasted on God, that meant that they had feasted on Jesus because Jesus is God. And that's difficult to accept. Especially when he's standing in front of you. As an intellectual exercise, making the link between manna in the wilderness and feasting on God isn't that big a jump, is it? Manna wasn't normal. It appeared every day. And if it wasn't used up, it was gone. And more came the next day. And the next day and the day after that, miraculous food from heaven that appeared every day. God food. But Jesus is pushing that much, much further. If I am God, then you're feasting on me. So let's leave aside the problem of cannibalism, which is a very real problem for the early church. It's not hard to see why people would struggle with this. We still struggle with it. We find the idea of Jesus as both human and divine difficult. When we celebrate communion, I wonder how often we think about what it is that we're actually doing. There are three schools of thought about what we do, about what happens when we have communion. The first is called transubstantiation. And that means that the bread and the wine literally turn into the actual body and blood of Jesus. The actual body and blood of Christ. And it's important to use the right word there. Because Christ is different from Jesus, isn't it? Christ is a much more than the man. The Christ is the Son of God. The universal saviour. The word that was present with God from the beginning of all things. The word that spoke creation into being. The second thought is called consubstantiation. Con means together with or alongside. So the bread is still bread and the wine is still wine, but alongside them is God's spirit. So in some way the bread and the wine are infused with God. They're still bread and they're still wine, but they've got God in them. And the third is called memorialism. The bread and wine are simply symbols and they're always just bread and wine, but they help us to remember Jesus. And each of these understandings is different. And not just in small ways. And each one is perfectly valid. Although some of the biggest splits and arguments in the church have happened because people disagreed with these ideas. But it goes all the way back to passages like this one. Because Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. And that's one of those statements we could talk about for years and years and years and never really fully understand. Because what does he mean? Does he mean the bread? You know, the the people that eat the bread I've provided. Because this happens after Jesus has provided loads of bread. Does he mean that? Or does he mean that because Christ created everything, every time we eat and drink, we're feasting on him? Because God is in everything. God created everything. 
Or does it go back to that upper room? Or does it go back to the wandering in the wilderness? Or does it go back to the very, very beginning of all things? Because remember, John starts his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Christ. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. And what came into being through him was life. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we feast on life. And when we do so, we feast on Christ. Because Christ is life. Christ created all life and is in all life. Christ is like the aroma of bread. There's nothing quite like the smell of baked bread, is there? fills a room, a house it's delicious aroma it promises nourishment and confirms availability it creates a sense of well-being and goodness even before you've had a taste if you're ever selling your house people tell you to bake bread before people come to see it it's a very powerful scent We know how that feels. We know how it feels to be alive. And we know those overwhelming moments when we feel most alive. When our senses are overtaken by something way bigger than ourselves. Way beyond what's normal. So I told the children one summer we visited Kennedy Space Centre. It's a place I've always wanted to go and had never been. And so when we went last time, we decided to go. And we went because just a few months before, a space shuttle had been put on display. I don't want to ruin it because you might find yourself there. But they do what they do in Florida. There's a queue. And the queue is very clever. You kind of walk through the history of the space shuttle and how they built it and all the iterations of the design and all that kind of stuff. And you find yourself in a wee room with a screen. And the screen shows a launch. It shows Atlantis being launched. And it's amazing because it's, you know, it's the surround sound and it's loud and it's a big screen and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the launch, the screen disappears. And space shuttles as close to you as you are to me. And it's incredible. Grown men cried. Because it's incredible. There she is. This thing that you've seen on the telly and you've heard stories of and you've watched people get up and down and it's there. It's right there. And she's incredible. And some people don't think she's beautiful but she really is. 
The space shuttle is without doubt one of humanity's greatest engineering accomplishments. And I would have stayed there all day. I really would have stayed there all day. Just staring at this thing that had carried the hopes and dreams and creativity and knowledge and aspirations of humanity into the unknown. And I still feel like crying just thinking about it. It's just a spaceship. It's just a machine. It's just a spaceship. When did we get so blasé that it was just a spaceship? And it's not often that we're confronted by those kinds of things, is it? To be face to face with something like that. That kind of wonder. Face to face with something that's truly exceptional or something awesome. In the proper sense of that word. What other, what other response could there be? Should there be? You see, for me, the wonder of those two and a half million parts all that come together and propel people into space isn't just about the clever women and men who made it or the incredibly brave astronauts who flew up. It's about being confronted by the God who made and continues to make heaven and earth. who sustains our home and prompts us to explore beyond the horizons, who blesses us with creativity and curiosity, invention and daring, hope and amazement. The God who is in us and through us and beyond us, who always wants to lead us forward into our next adventure, into greater life, Finding ourselves before something like that can only provoke us to stand and stare. And yet we're confronted by that kind of wonder every single day. We just don't pay attention to it. I love that Cameron said the stained glass windows. We come and sit here every week and hardly notice. And we're confronted by things like that all the time. Things that we just don't pay attention to. That we don't take time to feast on. The psalmist recognized it. I fall to my knees in thanksgiving and praise. May my ears be open to your splendor. May my ears be ever tuned to the pulse of life and song. The life and song of the stars. May my heart be ever receptive to the real and to the holy within it. Whether in pain and sorrow and plenty and want or joy and gratitude. This isn't just about bread and wine. That's why it's this week's reading and not last week's. It's about feasting on life. All of it. Seeing God in creation and reveling in it. It's about feasting on Christ. Recognizing that our full bellies will never be satisfied. Because Christ offers us food for our souls. And fills us up with love. That's what Simon Peter recognized in him. Lord, to whom can we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And in this season of epiphany, that's our epiphany today. A realization of revelation. And so we pray that God sends into this world, into this church, the living bread, us, that creates such an aroma that love and justice and goodness travel far and deep and wide, that the Holy Spirit instills in all of us a sense of hope and well-being across all of the landscapes of society today. And the grace, grace is an ingredient available to everyone and right at the heart of everything as we reach beyond ourselves into God's greater life. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse and on Twitter at St Ninian's Stonehouse where you can also find out about the other great stuff that's going on in our church. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship at 11am every Sunday. We'd love to see you.